Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Help me polarize, help me polarize, help me down. Those stairs is where I'll be on all my problems. Help me polarize, help me polarize, help me down. everybody. Welcome to ACF. Welcome to 1130. Those of you who think you're showing up to our 10 a.m. service, just a little late. Um, Happy Daylight Savings Time. Yeah, we're all excited about that one. Uh, Man, I want to welcome you. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're a guest of ours this morning, I just want to say, man, thanks for coming and spending some time with us on Sunday morning. Um, We say something around here. We say we're in this together. And we hope you experience, we hope you understand that we believe that we are in this together. That actually doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what you believe. That we're in this thing called life together. And that we hope to just walk that journey with you, maybe just a little bit um, today and, and, and moving forward. And also I just want to welcome everyone joining us online. Can we just welcome these guys that are joining us online? We have people joining us online every week. We have an actually a pretty amazing online community. And, and one of the people I just love to uh, see and who I know are watching right now are Brent and Liz Hoffman. There's some missionaries from our church over to the Czech um, in Prague. And they are doing incredible things over there. And they join us every week. So Brent and Liz, hi. We love you. You guys are amazing. Um, so we're in a series right now called Polarized. And we're talking about man, how do we... How do we live in a society that's polarized? How do we be the church in a society that's polarized? How do we love people well? How do we have uh, uh, conversations and disagreements in our polarized community, in our polarized nation, our polarized culture that we live in? And we've been talking about all sorts of things coming up to this point. And and if you haven't had a chance to to listen, to hear our other talks on, on polarized, I would highly... Um, suggest you go back, you can listen to them. They're on our app, our ACF Church app, or you can go to our website and watch them. But they really have been kind of building on top of each other. So I'd love to encourage you to do that. But in a couple of weeks, we're having a Q&D session. We, we started doing those here at, uh, this fall, and we're committing to do that through 2019. It's actually been really fun to do, and I think you guys have been enjoying that as well. And Q&D is this, it's question and discussion. We don't pretend to have all the answers around here. It's not Q&A. We're not going to tell you just all the answers to the questions you have. But what we do want to have is a question and discussion with you guys. And so if you guys have questions, 
just about this polarized topic, this series that we've been in, feel free to text your questions to this phone number. I would encourage you maybe to grab your phone right now, take a picture of, the, of that phone number or write it down so you can have it with you. So as you're going through your week and all of a sudden, man, a question pops into your head, you experience something that we talked about this week or last week uh, that you would be able to then be able to text that question in so we can talk about that in a few weeks. So that's coming up in a few weeks. It's, it's, it's an awesome time that we have. We love doing it. And so we want to continue to have these question and discussion times. So last week, Pastor Brian talked about uh, a cry for justice, right? He talked about, man, that before we cry for justice to come down on other people's lives, that we need to cry for God's justice to come down in our lives first. And that was a challenging message. And a couple of weeks ago, uh, Pastor Brian, he came into my office and he said, look, hey, I want you to speak these next couple of weeks here in Polarize. I want you to take some of the messages. And here's the topic I want you to have, how to be wrong. How to be wrong. And he comes in, I'm like, I don't know anything about being wrong. I'm not the one to, you should ask Pastor Stewart to preach this one. That guy, he has experience. He's got six women that live in his house. He will never be right, ever, (laughs) ever. He's just given up on that a long time ago. We started rooting for the Cowboys. But um, (laughs) moving on. Now, Pastor Brian came and he said, hey, we want to talk about how to be wrong. And I thought, what an interesting topic. What an interesting thing to talk about, like how to be wrong. And so I started just kind of diving into this idea of wrongness. And in one aspect, like it's not that difficult. Like you're either right or you're wrong, right, Josh? Like if you, if you get four plus four and you get seven, you're wrong. It's easy, right? Right and wrong, it's easy. And, and maybe the, 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 the foundations of what is right and what is wrong can be easy, and they can also be very difficult, but the application of wrongness is something different entirely. That there's, I started finding out that there's actually research done on wrongness and this idea of wrongness. And I started thinking about my own life, about like just times I've been like monumentally wrong, right? Not wrong like, hey, I think we're supposed to be there at six and we're supposed to, and it ends up being seven. Not that kind of wrong. But like monumental times in my life when I've been wrong, and I, I started thinking back to when I was a kid, I was about 10 years old, and my parents started mentoring couples in their home for marriage. My, my parents are, are, are older than most parents that had kids my age. I came along a little later in life. Um, and so my parents were having couples in their house every single week and walking through like these marriage series every week. From basically when I was 10 years old through, they still do it today. I mean, we're 25, 30 years later, my parents do this pretty much on a weekly basis. And so as as a 10-year-old and growing up as an elementary kid and then going into junior high, going into high school, weekly I'm hearing my parents talk and teach about marriage. I mean, I remember them going through these series like Gary Smalley and John Trent, if you remember those guys, and like talking about marriage. And I remember hearing this stuff and learning this stuff and learning like, okay, how to do proper conflict resolution. Learning like, okay, these are what different personality types are and this is what different personality types mean. I remember my parents having me take personality tests. So like, hey, you, we know what kind of personality you are. You need to know what kind of personality you are. Um, and all these things. And so of course, as I grew up, I knew marriage, Right? And, and, and I remember, like, when I'm getting ready to get married, I'm thinking, man, Malia, my wife, she's, she's one lucky lady. She's, she's marrying a guy that already knows how to do this thing. All she needs to do is listen to me, and we will be great. 
well, we got, I know, right? I know these things. And it didn't quite work out that way. She just wouldn't listen. But, no, I was so wrong. I was so wrong. I thought I knew. Like, I really went in going, man, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna miss a lot of this, like, rocky starts at a lot of marriages. Because I know things. Right? And I, I, I thought, like, I went as far as to say, man, I know things more than, like, even maybe some married couples do. Because, you know, I've been learning this stuff since I was 10. And it, I couldn't believe, like, as I look back at my life, like, how wrong I really, truly was in this. But this morning, I would be willing to bet that I'm not the only one in the room who's been wrong before in my life. I, I would think, and I, I would ask this question, raise your hand if you've ever been wrong. Okay. I think I see one junior higher over there who's not raising their hand. <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah, we, we've all, we'll all say that we've been wrong. We all say, like, yeah, we've, we've messed up before. I've been wrong on some things in my life before. And as I started doing this research, as I started looking into it, I, I kept finding this word pop up over and over again. It's called naive realism. Naive realism. And naive realism is this. It's the feeling that our perception of the world is truth. Our perception is true. So the way I perceive things, that is what is true. That is what is right. Everybody does this. We all do this. At least we at least start out this way, right? Like I perceive this item. I perceive this situation. I believe I perceive the way to understand this to be true. And I perceive it this way. Therefore, it is true. I perceive the sky is blue. Therefore, the sky is blue, right? Um, and and, and uh, there's this uh, guy named Chris Charbus, and, and he kind of explains how naive realism, how it happens to us. He, he talks about it this way. He says that we confuse effortlessness with accuracy. We confuse effortlessness with accuracy. So when I see something and it's effortless for me to hear it, it's effort, effortless for me to understand it, it's effortless for me to perceive it, well then that is, that is accurate, right? So when I look at a situation and it's just effortless for me to figure out how to fix that situation, well, that's the right way to fix the situation. I can look into your life and see this problem you're dealing with, and I can tell you how to fix your problem, because it, it comes effortless to me to do it. And, and a great example of this, something that most of all of us walked through in 2018, there was actually uh, quite a, a polarizing situation that came up in 2018. And, and people were on both sides of the lines with this, and there's a lot of arguments and a lot of division over this topic and really what was happening was this naive realism in, in all of us. And that, that situation that we walked through was this. Laurel. 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 How many remember the great debate of 2018? Was it Yanni or was it Laurel? Who was team Laurel in the room? Anybody? All right. Who was team Yanni in the room? All right. If you don't know what it was, was this, this audio voice was saying one of two things. It was either saying Laurel or saying Yanny. And some people are like, what are you talking about? He just said Yanny. Laurel, what are you talking about? But people hear it very differently. And our naive realism says, this is what I heard, this is what's accurate. This is what I heard, this is what truth is. And, and you're wrong for thinking something different. What do you mean you heard Laurel? It's Yanny, clearly, you're a moron. Right, like, we, we have this naive realism. Now, there actually is a, the truth to this. See, this, this, what you're hearing is a voice uh, from vocabulary.com, and the word that is typed in is Laurel. So everyone who's Team Laurel, winners, rights, yes. Team Yanny, 
you got to feel like what it's like to be wrong. But we don't, but like, our perceived reality is like, no, it was easy for me, I'm accurate. And we do this all the time. And in fact, naive realism, it really plays out in our life day to day in even a greater way, in a, in a deeper way than this, than just like seeing things and hearing things. I don't know if anyone in this room has ever heard of the Dunning-Kruger effect before. Uh, if you've taken philosophy, if you've taken psychology, if you've taken like any counseling, you've probably heard of the Dunning-Kruger effect before. And the Dunning-Kruger effect is basically this. It is the less knowledge you have, the more confident you are. This is the Dunning-Kruger effect. Dunning and Kruger did a lot of research, and what they found in people's lives, a lot to do in part with this naive realism, that the less information they have, the less experience they have, the more confident they are in their lives. And they actually charted it out, and it looks like this. This is something that went around, this is something that got taught, they got published they started getting taught in universities, and, and this was this sweeping kind of through universities of this understanding of, hey, for majority of people, and in reality, all of us do this to one degree or another, when we start out learning something, we have this incredible confidence that we know nothing, right? Like, we have this incredible confidence in our ignorance. Like me as a young man getting married, like, oh, no, I know things. I learned it. I had incredible confidence in marriage and what I knew about marriage, and I, I know nothing. I ain't spent one day being married. Right? We see this with like, is it like parents, like people who don't have kids make the best parents because they know everything. And we do this all the time in our life, but what ended up happening was as this is being taught in universities, as this is being taught in psychology and in sociology and all these things, Dunning. Uh, David Dunning realized that his information that they came up with, the research, was actually being taught wrong. It was being completely misunderstood because there's a dirty little secret to the Dunning-Kruger effect, and this is the dirty little secret. See, the, the first rule of the Dunning-Kruger club is that you don't know that you're in the Dunning-Kruger club. Right, but... What David Dunning said is like, all these people are teaching it like how to see it in other people. Just a minute ago when I said, hey, the, the less you know, the more confident you are, probably most of us went, oh, I know that guy. I know that lady. But the first rule of the club is you don't know you're in the club. He said, we're teaching it to see it in other people. No, it needs to be taught that we see it in ourselves. That we are all guilty of being in the Dunning-Kruger Club. We've all been in that place where we have super high confidence and little knowledge or little experience. David Dunning says this. He says, 65% of Americans believe they're more intelligent than average, and that is wishful thinking. He said, in reality, like, we're all about average. People are not really that much more intelligent or that less, much less intelligent. There are outliers, of course, but for the most part, we're all average intelligence. Like, I know some stuff really well, and then I don't know a lot of stuff that other people know. That we're all about average, but 65% of us think we're smarter than everybody else around us. And this is the Dunning-Kruger effect. This is naive realism and how it plays out in our lives. See, the problem is we see it in other people, but we don't see it in ourselves. The first rule of the Dunning-Kruger Club is that you don't know you're a member of the Dunning-Kruger Club. So what David Dunning was quoted as saying. We're confident in our ignorance. But see, the reality of this chart, the reality of this Dunning-Kruger effect is this. 
It doesn't just play out in our, in our lives like intellectually. It just doesn't play out in our lives in how we view the world, um, like kind of sociology-wise. But it, it also plays true to be true in our lives when it comes to our spiritual lives, too. I've seen this over and over again in myself. I've seen this over and over again in people I talk to that, that become very, very confident in really what they do not know. And I kind of see it played out in two different ways. I want to talk about those for just a minute. The first way is this. That I become so confident, like if for myself, I, I told you that I was, my parents were always had people in their home being mentored, and I knew all this stuff. Well, in the same way, I was raised going to church. I was raised going to Sunday school. I knew Bible stories, right? I was raised going to junior high youth group and high school youth group, and I had amazing times there, and God did awesome stuff in my life. But also what happened was I got extremely confident in really what I didn't know. I got extremely confident, like, oh yeah, this is what the Bible says. It says this. End of story. Right? This is what the Bible says. So when it came to issues in society, polarizing issues, it was like, no, this is what the Bible says. You're wrong, I'm right. But I was so wrong so many times. I was off, and maybe not on entirely, but I was like, this is what Jesus says. Well, this is what Jesus says, but this is also what Jesus says, and this is really what he means by this. And we become so willing to die on certain hills and plant our flag in certain areas, and like, yes, this is, I know, I'm confident, and yet, I'm also probably wrong on some of this stuff. And the reality is then, as I move forward in life, and I go, wow, I thought I knew everything that the Bible taught. And as I, as I experience life, as life comes at me, I'm going, I don't know if I know anything of what the Bible teaches. Maybe I should try to learn for myself, not, not to show, how, show you how right I am, but just to show you, man, I'm willing to learn in this area. And, and all of a sudden, my confidence maybe goes low, but I begin to learn and I begin to experience the Word of God in my life, and it's transforming for me. But the other way, too, that I've seen this played out in people's lives is that we say yes to Jesus and we get very excited and this is a good thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. We get very excited, we become very confident, but sometimes we become confident in the wrong areas, if that makes sense. We, we start to believe promises of the Bible that are not actually promises of the Bible and then when life hits us and all of a sudden cancer shows up in my family, all of a sudden I lose my career and, and my finances and I'm financially destroyed. All of a sudden, you know, my husband or my wife leaves me. All of a sudden, my kids turn out not the way I thought they were going to turn out. And what I believed, like, to be true and this super high confidence that I had, but very shallow understanding, it drives me to a place of, like, I don't know if this is true. I don't know if this is real. I don't know where I stand with God. And we can get to this low spot. And a few things happen when we get to this low spot. Sometimes we just stay there. Sometimes that's the end of the road for us. Sometimes if, if we feel like, okay, you know, I want to be part of church, this is where we become kind of fake at this low point where it's like, hey, we're going to put on the happy smile. We're not going to let anyone know that things are going wrong in our lives. We're not going to let anyone that we have real questions. We have real doubts going on in our souls. We're just going to come and smile and go home and try to deal with our doubts on our own. Sometimes what we do is we just get there and go, well, I thought Christianity was the right way. I thought Jesus was the answer. Clearly he's not because these things are happening to me in my life, so I'm done. And sometimes we continue to walk through it. And we go, man, 
I got some questions. I have some doubts. I didn't know that this was going to be coming my way. I didn't know that the Bible actually does speak to this, and it kind of speaks to it differently than I thought it would. But I want to I walk through community with some people. I want to learn. I want to grow. And as we start to grow again in, in, in our experience, we start to grow in our understanding, our confidence can go up. And this is not to say we should never have confidence in our faith. It doesn't mean that every day we have to wake up and go, am I saved today? Am I saved today? Am I saved today? It's not that at all. But I, if, if we're all honest for a moment in this room, I think most of us would say, yeah, I've been to the bottom of that chart. In fact, there's a, a, a kind of someone who's, who founded this denomination that we're part of, A.B. Simpson. He calls it the crisis moment. That really, he says, all believers go through a crisis moment where we come, boom, to the bottom of that chart and go, I thought I knew everything. I'm realizing I know nothing. And that's actually a great place to be because we can start building our faith on, on God speaking to us and moving in our lives and with each other. And to be honest with you, this is one of the big reasons we went away from here at ACF Church. Well, we, we, we kind of blew apart our breakaway big youth group model thing, and we went to this small group style of, of youth ministry. Because we looked at it, and yes, God was doing amazing things, and there's people in this room now, today, right here, who, 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 who were touched by God through youth group, and youth group's awesome, but what we were seeing is like, there's this huge Dunning-Kruger effect, and I saw it in my own life, we're just leaving with lots of confidence and not so much understanding, because when you're in a big group of people, it's kind of hard to really get discipled well, and we said, we want to disciple people well, so what if we have adults and students getting together? And just walking through discipleship in small groups where students can ask questions and have their doubts and and just walk through life with people who have been there before. And it's cool. Like, I'm leading a group, and I'm getting questions that I've never gotten at youth group before. And I love it because they feel safe to ask their questions because it's just a small group of us. But it doesn't matter if it's youth culture or it doesn't matter if you're an adult in this room that this is what community is about. That we can walk through this process because we're all all over the map with this. Like everyone in this room is somewhere on this map when it comes to their faith. That we can go, man, I'm super confident. And people are going, there's some stuff you don't know quite yet, right? Let's, let's learn. Let me share my experience with you. And other people that are like, I don't know anything. And other people are going, I've been there before. Let's walk. That's why we push so hard community and life groups here at ACF Church. Because you guys need to know that this is not enough. Sunday morning is not enough for you to continue to grow deep in your faith. That this is a piece of what God has called us to do to come together, but then we're supposed to be in community together. But when we're able to go, man, I don't know, I was wrong on some stuff. That's where the journey kind of flips and we can start to grow and learn. Because I wonder how many of us do this. I wonder how many of us have ever gone in our day and gone, today, right now, I'm probably wrong on some thing I believe or some stance I have. Like how often do we do that, right? Like today I'm probably wrong about something I'm very passionate about. Most of us would go, no, today I'm not wrong, right? Like when I asked you guys to raise your hand, how many of you guys have been wrong in the past, everyone raises their hand. Of course I've been wrong in the past. If I were to ask you, how many of you guys believe you will be wrong again someday? Most everybody in this room would raise their hand. Some of you would have to think about it for a minute. Maybe. There's a small chance, but okay, I'll give you that one. I'll be wrong in the future. See, most of us are willing to admit, yes, I've been wrong in the past. I'll be wrong in the future. But in the present, I am currently not wrong. Here's the problem. You're all here in the present right now. You're going to leave here and you're going to go on to your day and hang out with your family in the present. 
You're going to go to work tomorrow in the present. You're going to go to school after spring break in the present. Right? You're going to, you deal with your community in the present. You deal with your coworkers in the present. You deal with your soldiers in the present. You deal with your employees in the present. You deal with your wife, with your husband in the present. We deal with our children in the present. And if we're never wrong in the present, we're never wrong with those people. We've been wrong. I will be wrong, but I'm currently not wrong. But so we live our lives never actually thinking that we're wrong about anything. Again, studying this idea of wrongness was so eye-opening to me and it was so convicting to me as I'm reading this going, this is so me, it's so true. We, we spend our lives never really being wrong or thinking that we're wrong in the present unless we get confronted with it, right? If I have this stance on this, I have this political stance on this, I have this belief on this, like I, this is, I'm right on this, and then we get confronted like, nope, here's facts that show you're wrong. My reaction then is to go, okay, I'm going to do a little study on this. I'm going to do a little research to prove to you that I'm right and that you're wrong, right? right? <laughs> to prove to you my facts are right, to prove to you, oh, the government. Who do you think paid for those research papers? The government, right? They, they changed the, they, they got the results they wanted. See, I'm really right. right. Who do you think said this about that? Like, and I'll do all the research to prove that I'm not actually wrong. Because we hate to be wrong, don't we? I hate being wrong, And yet, I am wrong in something I believe in or some stance I have right now currently in my life. So the question we started today with is how to be wrong. How do we do it? How do we be wrong? This is how we are wrong. This is how we need to be wrong. We need to seek to understand, not to be understood. We need to seek to understand, not to be understood. Because when we realize we're wrong, it brings us to a place of humility. It brings us to a place of vulnerability, right? And when we're vulnerable, I love this quote by Andy Stanley. He says, I am most teachable when I am most vulnerable, right? When I finally realize, okay, I have been wrong, teach me. How can I learn from this mistake? How can I learn from being in the wrong place or the wrong stance, the wrong understanding? And we become teachable at that point. Because if we're not wrong... We got nothing to learn. If we're not wrong, we can't be teachable. See, Jesus talks about it in this way. He gives this great story. I love this story. It's in the, it's in the book of Luke. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It's in Luke chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 9. Uh, it will also be behind me on the screen. But I want to I set the scene for you like this. Jesus, he, he's, just, he's hanging out with some dudes, right? These guys are, they're something. They think they are amazing. In fact, they think they're better than everybody else. There's these Pharisees that Jesus is hanging out with, and they just think they're awesome. I don't know if you've ever hang out with a group of guys that think they're awesome. It's a sight to be seen, right? Ladies in the room, if you've ever been like maybe a soul lady or a couple girls at a you know, barbecue and there's a bunch of dudes just standing around thinking they're awesome, yeah, it's, it's, again, it's pretty amazing, like, just the, the, the arrogance like sucks the air right out of the room. It's, it's, it's a sight to be seen. And this is what Jesus is dealing with. He's, he's, he's with these guys that literally think they're better than everyone around them. And so perceiving this, Jesus begins to tell them a story. We'll pick up in Luke 18. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. This is the story that Jesus tells now in verse 10. Two men went to the temple complex to pray. 
one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee took his stand and was praying like this, God, thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of everything I get. So Jesus is hanging out with these guys, and he, he's like, hey, I want to tell you guys a story. You guys love to tell stories. You guys love to listen to stories. And so they're like, all right, what's the story you got, Jesus? And I imagine it went like this. I imagine, I'm just trying to imagine these guys' reaction. And he said, okay, two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and one a tax collector. Now, their first initial reaction would probably have been something like, well, of course the Pharisee went to the temple to pray. But what's the tax collector doing there? Why are you even comparing a Pharisee and tax collector? Like, these guys are in different stratospheres, right? Yeah, the, tax, yeah, the Pharisee goes to the temple to pray. He goes to the temple to pray every day. But that tax collector, he's probably never been to the temple in years. He doesn't deserve to be there. He has no right to be there. Why would he go to the temple when he's not? Is it Christmas or Easter in your story, Jesus? Like, what's going on? Why is this tax collector at the temple to pray? And then Jesus continues on. He says, look, they both went to pray, and the Pharisee takes his place before God, and this is what he prays. He says, thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. I would imagine these guys, these Pharisees that Jesus is hanging out with are like, yeah, he's not like other people. This Pharisee is awesome, right? This Pharisee, he knows the scriptures, Of course he's not like other people. This Pharisee has memorized the Torah. We're talking, this Pharisee has memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, word for word. This this Pharisee is not like other people. He is better than other people. You know, Jesus, like we are better than other people. And then he said, Jesus says, look, he began to pray, thank you that I'm not like other people. Thank you that I'm not greedy. And I'm sure the Pharisees were like, of course he's not greedy. This guy gives to the poor all the time. He's gone out of his way. Jesus, you probably have no idea how much money this guy's given to the poor. This guy's anything but greedy. Thank you that I'm not unrighteous. Of course, Jesus, this man's not unrighteous. This guy's a Pharisee. He's probably, he knows the law. He knows the scripture. This guy's probably never broken the law. He's like us, righteous. We've earned our righteousness by holding fast to the law, Jesus, of course this Pharisee is not, un, he's an unrighteous. He's completely righteous. Go on with your story, Jesus. This makes a lot of sense. Thank you that I'm not an adulterer, right? Of course he's not an adulterer. He's, he's righteous. He's probably never even had the thought of adultery, right? He's probably never come close. That's probably the furthest thing from his mind. And then thank you that I'm not like the tax collector. Again, Jesus, comparing the Pharisee to the tax collector, what are you doing? Of course he's not like the tax collector. This tax collector is trash. He's garbage. He's a traitor to his own country. He works for the Roman Empire. He's a thief. He steals from his own people. Of course he's not like the tax collector, Jesus. He goes on to say that, man, he, he, he fasts. Not once a week, twice a week. I'm that awesome, right? And I tithe on everything I get. So Jesus is building this guy up, and, and, and as he's talking about him, as we perceive now, as we understand now, the Pharisee who seemed so right, who seemed so right was so wrong. He was so wrong. 
And it's interesting to think about this, because in one aspect, the Pharisee was right. He was right in his understanding of the law. He was right in his understanding of what the scriptures read. He was right in understanding the God of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. Like, he was right in all these things. He was right. He tithed. He fasted. He prayed. He's right. And yet, he's so wrong. Why? Because this Pharisee has probably never sought to understand, but only to be understood. If he would have just looked at the tax collector and said, man, what brought you to this point? Why would you choose to work for Rome? Why would you steal from people? Like, what's going on in your life? What difficulty have you had? What misunderstanding of, of the scriptures have you believed? I would love to walk with you in this. I would love to help, help you walk this journey, walk this road. Help me understand where you're coming from. But he doesn't. He wants to be understood. Tax collector, understand me. You are unrighteous and I am righteous. You will never be as good as me. You are wrong and I am right. See, so often we can even take what is right and make it so wrong in the way we apply it even to our lives. And it's easy for us to look at the Pharisee and go, man, shame on him, right? First rule of the Dunning-Kruger Club so you don't know you're a member of the Dunning-Kruger Club. We are the Pharisees so often. The way we view people, the way we see people go, man, we are righteous and you are not. Because I believe that this is the right stance. I believe this political issue, I'm on the right side of it. I'm on the right side of history. I'm on the right side of my views. My views are biblical. You are unrighteous. You are wrong. We are so wrong. Proverbs 18.2 says this, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Man, if that doesn't explain our culture, I don't know what does. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Right? This Pharisee's like, let me teach you how to honor God. Let me explain to you, but he's not honoring God in the least bit. We're so confident in our ignorance at times. I love this. Proverbs 3, 7 and 8 says, Do not consider yourself to be wise. That's good news. You hear that? Do not consider yourself to be wise. That is a burden. If you always have to have the right answer, if you can never be wrong, that's a burden. Do not consider yourself to be wise. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. Listen to this. This will be healing for your body and strengthening to your bones. That literally... Being able to say, I was wrong, I don't have all the answers, is strengthening to your bones. Because it can be exhausting to feel like you have to have all the answers. There's some good news. There's some really good news here when it comes to seeking to understand, not to be understood. I love this. In James 1.5, it says this. If anyone lacks wisdom, and when James is writing this, he's assuming everyone in the room is going to go, yeah, that's me. Right? I think it's even a little tongue-in-cheek. If anyone lacks wisdom, no, y'all lack wisdom, right? We lack wisdom. I lack wisdom. James says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. That we just need to approach God. God, give me wisdom in this situation, because I have been wrong. Give me wisdom in this area. And if we would all seek to understand instead of to be understood. But here's the deal. Like, this is not weakness. I think sometimes we, we equate this with weakness. This is leadership. Like, because I know there's people in this room 
that you're like the top dog in your company, in your unit, whatever it might be, and you have people looking to you, and they need answers from you. And that's okay. That does not mean that you can't seek to understand and not be understood. That it's okay, even as a leader, I mean, I would say this is leadership, that only a good leader would seek to understand and go, man, I don't have that exact answer right now, but I'm going to find that answer, and we're going to move forward with it. That's way different than like, well, here, and if it doesn't work out, well, you screwed it up, not me, right? To seek to understand, not to be understood. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. See, and here's the other thing, too, and this is like kind of a fear I've picked up on um, with Christians and, and in the church, like, to be able to go, wait, we don't have all the answers? See, seeking to understand, not to be understood, does not water down your faith either. It doesn't mean you have to go, well, I don't really know. I guess maybe I could be wrong if Jesus was raised from the dead. I guess maybe I could be wrong that he's not the son of God, that he didn't die for my sins. Like, you don't have to, to go all the way over there, and there's this fear to be able to go, well, if I can admit I'm wrong, I have to admit that I'm wrong that Jesus was raised from the dead. Well, here's the deal. God is not God because you are right. But God is not God because you have all the answers. And as long as you got the answers, he'll continue to be God. But if you're wrong on something, he's not God anymore. Like, we, we think that. God is God whether we're right or wrong. Jesus rose from the dead or he didn't. And it's okay to have those questions. Because if we're all honest, many of us in this room have. And if, if we haven't, we have friends who have those questions. And for us just to go, no, I'm right, you're wrong, Jesus did raise from the dead, you're completely a moron for not thinking that he did. That's not the way, that's not seeking to understand. That's the way the Pharisee thought. So he didn't believe that about Jesus, but about righteousness. Right? That we could approach with humility and go, man, I'm going to seek to understand. you got questions about the resurrection, let's talk about them. Help me understand your questions. Help me understand your perspective, your point of view. Because here's the beautiful piece about this. Here's the truth. It is our job to seek to understand. It is our responsibility to seek to understand those across the line from us, those who think differently than us, those who think the same as us, our husbands, our wives, our children, our neighbors. It is our job to seek to understand. It is the role of the Holy Spirit to to seek to be understood. Understanding comes from the Holy Spirit. It does not come from us. It does not come from us being smart enough, not being wrong, having all the right answers. That is not understanding for, for others around us. Just like for us, as we understood who we are in Christ, that was the Holy Spirit who revealed that to us. It is not because we are just that smart. It is the role of the Holy Spirit for understanding. So our job is to seek to understand Seek to understand. So I want to I close with this thought. What if today all of us left here, we as ACF Church left this building and we looked at our lives, we inventoried ourselves and went, where am I wrong? Where am I wrong? You see, again, with the Pharisee in Jesus' story, he was so right about so much stuff, yet he was so wrong. He was right on who God was. He was right on all these things. He was praying about, yet he was completely wrong in his application of what he believed. Maybe we're right on what we believe about the Bible. Maybe we're right in what we believe to be true, but we're so wrong in the application. But what if we all left here and said, where am I wrong? 
And then we began to repent of being wrong. And repentance is just this. We think differently about it. That is literally what the translation of repentance means, to think differently. And we begin to think differently. And we begin to not have confidence in our ignorance, but we begin to have confidence in the one true God that we ask to seek wisdom from. And we learn how to seek to understand from the people around us. Psalms 139 says this, Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Holy Spirit, search my heart. Show me where I've been wrong so I can repent and I can grow and I can learn. I love this prayer. St. Francis of Assisi prayed this. Maybe, just maybe, this might be our prayer today. O divine master, Grant that I not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, in pardoning that we are pardoned, and in dying that we are born into eternal life. Amen. Seek to understand, not to be understood. And what if we did this? What if we met people in our community we as ACF Church came to our community and said, we were wrong. We were wrong about the way we thought we were better than you. We were wrong about the way we talked down to you. We were wrong about the shame we just heaped upon you. What if husbands, we went to our wives and said, I was wrong? What if wives, we went to our husbands and said, I was wrong? What if employers went to their employees and said, I was wrong? What if officers went to their enlisted people and said, man, we were wrong? What if parents went to their children and said, we were wrong? What kind of impact would that have? Today, we're going to have the opportunity to be baptized. You're going to have the opportunity to be baptized. We're going to have baptisms today. And what baptism represents is it represents the death to ourself, right? The death to self-righteousness. The death to like happening to be right, never being wrong. This understanding that we don't have all the answers, but we're alive in Christ. And that is Jesus inside of us. That's Jesus. That all, that's all it is. It is Jesus. It is not me. It is Jesus who has the answers. It is Jesus who, who is to be understood, not me. And that actually, quite literally, that baptism is, is obedience. That, frankly, when you say yes to Jesus, it's followed up with baptism immediately. And I would challenge those in here today who have said yes to Jesus and never, be bapt- never been baptized to go, man, I would question, why have I said no? Maybe I've been wrong in saying no, I want to wait. And to move forward with just surrendering and going public with my faith to say, I'm, 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 I'm saying I'm dying to myself and I'm alive in Christ. So if you would like to be baptized in just a minute, I'm going to pray. And as I'm praying, go ahead, stand up, head right out those doors over there. There's people in the lobby right now that want to pray with you, that want to talk to you, that have everything you need to get baptized. They got shirts, they got shorts for you, they got hair dryers, brushes, any kind of excuse you can make to not get baptized today. We've gotten rid of that excuse for you. And so if that's you today, I would love to encourage you to move forward with a step of obedience in baptisms. If you guys would, go ahead and stand as we end this time we've had together in prayer. Jesus, I thank you, God. God, I thank you that I don't have to be right always. I don't have to have all the answers. In fact, 
that I would not consider myself to be wise. God, thank you that you are the answer. You are truth. God, thank you that you are the North Star. That it does not move that as we drift through this ocean of life that we have a reference point. And that reference point is you. God, forgive us for the times we've been so wrong and thought we were so right. Forgive us for the times when we talk down to other people because we thought we were better than them because we were right and they were wrong. God, let the prayer of David in the Psalms be the prayer of our hearts today. Search me, O God. Show me where I am wrong today. Help me repent. Help me to think differently about this situation, about the way I've treated people. God, help us to seek to understand, not to be understood. It's in your holy, precious name we pray. Amen.